0: So we, uh, a couple of weeks ago, began a series here on Sunday evenings going through the prophecy of Malachi. Uh, I've been thinking about this particular sermon series for a little bit only because I've had this just intriguing fascination with the book of Malachi. Precisely because it is that sort of hinge between the testaments. As we spent some time looking at last time. It is the close of the Old Testament canon, if you will. Bringing very much to bear the end of what God has to say to the believers, we could say, of the Old Testament era. It is not specifically known exactly when this book is penned. But most often, many of us have come to believe that its position within the Old Testament is the best and the most accurate. Not only in terms of history, but also in terms of chronology. Just in saying that it is the last book that God gave to one of his own before 400 years of silence. Of course you know that in between Malachi chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 1 there's 400 years of silence. wherein God was not speaking, no prophets were prophesying. There was a deadness to God's spirits moving upon people. All of that time, God was still working. But it's interesting to note here, then what is God's last words to his people? That's essentially what Malachi is. And echoing throughout his pages, as we noted last week, is this unchanging God. That verse in chapter 3, verse 6, is perhaps the linchpin of this whole little prophecy. Where the prophet says, Of the Lord, I am the Lord, I change not. That little phrase, that little truth serves, I think, to underscore exactly what Malachi aims to show us through this prophecy. Namely, that for those who are constantly changing and constantly perhaps veering towards a negative trajectory, is this God, the Lord of hosts, who is always the same, who never changes. That I think is. What we too can cling to and what we must cling to and clutch for the rest of our lives. This truth above all truth that God doesn't change. It is. There's a big word for that we could say in our theological circles. That God is immutable. He is impervious to change. What he is, he always is. And nowhere is this dichotomy, this contrast between this unchanging God and the people who serve him who are constantly changing, constantly unstable and in constant brought to the surface, I think, more than in the verses that we just read. Verses 6 through 14 of this first chapter where Malachi really pointedly and very specifically calls out the priests of the Lord. They are his subject here in these verses. As he goes through and calls them out for a number of grievances that they have committed against the Lord of hosts. And he really just pulls no punches. He doesn't sort of beat around the bush. He gets right to the point, And he makes sure that all of their failures are brought to light. Yes, perhaps embarrassingly so. And begins... Somewhat generally, and then po- and gradually proceeds to more pointed practical levels in terms of his concern for them, in terms of what God's concern is for his own people. He begins again in verse number six. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests? That despise my name. And you say wherein have we despised thy name? As we noted last week, there is this sort of back and forth that happens between Malachi. It wasn't last week, a couple weeks ago, but you get the point. Uh, Malachi and his audience, there's this sort of back and forth that happens throughout these chapters. Where Malachi, sort of like the Apostle Paul, uh, anticipates this sort of question that might be in his readers' minds. If you remember, the the passage that I was referring to is Romans chapter 5 and 6. Where Paul talks about this grace of the Lord that abounds even where sin abounds. Grace abounds all the more. And then he says right away in chapter 6, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means, he says. It's similar here, wherein the prophet Malachi is anticipating these questions that might be popping up in his readers' minds. Again, as he's addressing these priests, and he's calling them out for despising the name of the Lord, he anticipates what they might say. Where and where? How have we despised Yahweh's name? His point here is to call out the fact that God, this Lord of hosts, Is not receiving the honor and fear that he so deserved because of who he is. There's no reverence in God's house. There's no respect for who they are coming to serve in the place of the Lord. This house of the Lord was not a place of awe. It was a place of just indifference. The word that I like to use if you look up at the thoracic is nonchalance just sort of this not really care this not real seriousness to the th- ways and the means in which these people were meant to worship the prophet calls them out where is where is his honor where is this reverence this fear Those words there in verse 6, honor and fear, are roughly the same, meaning respect and reverence. But I love in terms of what they are meant to convey, which is just this reverential dread. It speaks to what he calls himself at the end of this first chapter, where he says he's the great king. And his name is dreadful among the heathen. That's who this God is. It's a dread Not because we are worried about how malicious this God is. We are, yes, reverentially dreadful of just how high and mighty he is. And the failure of the priests was chiefly seen in their failure to cultivate this regard for the God whom they served. You see, these priests were the ones who were expressly charged, yes, by God. They were put into this office specifically by God to nurture this regard for the Lord of hosts, to nurture this healthy fear and honor and reverence for this Lord of hosts. And yet they had let that priority fall to the gutter, fall to the ground. And where honor should have been, there was disdain. And where reverence should have been, there was contempt. Where fear should have been, there was indifference. You see, the way these priests have handled their calling, again, as the Malachi says, makes it appear as though they despise God. They don't have a care for who God is and who his nature is and what his character is. They are really indifferent and nonchalant towards his words and his truth. That's how God saw it again. Oh, priests that despise my name, Yahweh says. It's a personal sort of uh, disdain that they had towards God himself. And we might even say that God took that personally, such that he is calling out these priests. And you can imagine, as Malachi is delivering these words, that these words were received like a knife to the heart. And then again, he perceives How they might counter this accusation. Where? How? Give us an example, Malachi. Give us a specific example of how we have treated God as though we despise Him. And again, you can see here that they were so self assured. That they could not even recognize their own failure. They had no sort of awareness or clue as to how they might have been treating God in a way that was uh, despising. And it leads to Malachi to expose their disregard and their irreverence for these things of God in just striking fashion. Notice verse 7. In an answer to that question, where have we despised thy name? Malachi says, ye offer polluted bread. Upon mine altar, and ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for the sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. The table of the Lord, he says, has become polluted, a polluted thing, a corrupted thing, a perverted place. It's been defiled by, we could say, moldy bread and haggard offerings. They weren't giving to God the best of what they had. They were bringing to Him, we might say, the leftovers sacrifices, as Malachi calls them out for. They're not offering the choicest lamb from out of their flock. Instead, who are they offering? The blind ones, the lame ones, the sick ones. The ones that won't really affect their bottom line if they have to get rid of. This is an alarming fact. To see God's people being okay with offering such sacrifices. There is sort of a twin sort of accusation going on here in Malachi's words. As he's calling out not just the priests, but now he's calling out the people. Because they have come to the Lord's house, bringing with them sacrifices which are totally against what God's law required and commanded. Instead of the best, they were just offering the leftovers again, as I said. But coupled with that... Is is this other sort of uh, indictment of the priests? Because not only are the people okay with being uh, with offering these sorts of offerings to God Himself on this altar, contempting it, uh, corrupting it, but the priests are okay in receiving it. They are okay with accepting these sorts of offerings from the people, which again goes back to this sort of culture that they have developed. (laughs) They're okay with these offerings. With this irreverence towards who God is. They had nurtured this themselves. You see this is the fault of the priests. They had sort of nurtured this heart in the people of God. Where they were okay with giving God less than what his word required. Go with me. Just so you get it in your mind's eye. What they were doing. Leviticus chapter 22. Here is where we see exactly what they were supposed to offer. As they came into that place. Leviticus chapter 2 or chapter 22. Look at verse 22. Blind or broken or maimed or having a wen or scurvy or scabbed. Ye shall not offer these unto the Lord. Nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord, either a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous or lacking in its parts, that mayest thou offer for a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall ye make any offering thereof in your land. God is very clear. Those things which are corrupted, broken, bruised, maimed, those things ought not to be having place on that altar because this God, this Lord of hosts, is a holy Lord high above the heavens. He is deserving of all of what we have. These sacrifices really get to the heart of God's people where they really didn't have their hearts surrendered to the Lord of all things. And Malachi, I love how he calls them out. Even on how they wouldn't even dare do this if they were serving the governor. (laughs) Notice he says, if you were offering this to some civil magistrate, do you think he's going to be pleased by you? He says in verse 8. Do you think he's going to be acceptable of you? You're going to find favor in his sight if you were to offer this sort of meal in his (laughs) presence. I imagine, have you thought of the same thing, how often we treat God's house with a little bit less severity and reverence than we might often think of if the president was coming to town? <laughs> and I think that's sort of the, the example that Malachi is here trying to bring into the minds of his people. Would you dare offer these same things to some civil governor? No. You'd bring out the finest china. Only the finest delicacies and table settings would do. And yet, when it came to God's house, you priests have allowed everyone to continue worshiping and honoring the Lord of hosts with contempt. Out of pollution and corruption. They treated God's table as if it was a vile, worthless thing. That's what he means there. When you've polluted the altar of the Lord. Can you imagine More sobering words, again, to a class, to a group, to an entire school of men, priests who were specifically called to uphold the worthiness and worshipfulness of the place wherein they met with the triune God himself. And they had let all of this fall to the wayside. There was no reverence, there was no regard. The priests had failed in their responsibilities. Such is why Malachi says in verse 9 Get on your knees. I pray you, besiege God, beg Him that He will be gracious unto you. That's your only hope, priests. You who should have functioned as living examples of the grace of God to God's people. You are now desperate, more than desperate. You are in a dire state for this same grace that you are supposed to be dispensing to his very people. And yet they couldn't see it. They were desperate and they couldn't know it. They were blind. Again, all of these questions that pop up that Malachi perceives show us exactly what the hearts of these priests were, what the hearts of God's people were. They were blind to their desperation and they didn't even know it. They considered themselves pious, righteous, righteous emblematic of what God, Jehovah, was doing through them. They are God's people. They are God's priests. They, out of those who were the chosen, they had even a more corner on the market of who God was because they were the chosen priests of God. And yet, in reality, even though they thought all those high and mighty things about themselves, really all they were were carriers of pollution and profanity. Their worship was an affront to the Lord of hosts. Notice he says in verse number 10. Who is there even among you? That would shut the doors for naught. Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. It was offensive to God. There are a couple of ways to read verse 10. If you examine it Someone say that Malachi is calling on the priests for not doing their duties for nothing. You know, where he says, you won't do this for naught, you won't do that for naught. Basically, some commentators have taken this and said that Malachi is meaning to imply, especially when he talks about offerings and givings later on in chapter 3, that the priests had come to serve and do everything just for the offering itself. Meaning just for money. (laughs) They were doing it for filthy lucre, as Paul would say. They were doing it to put a little bit of cash in their pockets. They were prostituting God's ministry for their own gain. And perhaps that is true. Others would say that Malachi is just reckoning everyone's worship and devotion for naught. Therefore, another way we could render verse number 10 is that They might as well just shut the doors and snuff out the candles because their religious activity is useless. It's worthless. God doesn't even want to see it. It's not acceptable. He will not have pleasure in it. I think both renderings are are true and get at the heart of what Malachi's message is. Namely, that God's people... God's own people had come to worship God in a very detestable way. So much so, again, that God took no pleasure in the worship of his own people. And he wasn't even interested in accepting it. Again, as he says, I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. These words, for me at least, these are very sobering words, are they not? that the worship of God's chosen people meant next to nothing to God himself indeed to these people who had deemed themselves so worthy so special so chosen so important malachi proceeds now to inform them that God's great name it actually is going to become great among those that you consider unclean verse 11 for from the rising of the even of the sun even to the going down of the same My name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Do you think God takes this personally? He says three times in this one verse that you have done this thing against me, against my name. You have profaned it. You have polluted it. You have corrupted it. So that thing that you've corrupted, it would actually be exalted among measure. Beyond your wildest imagination is going to be exalted in the hearts of those that you consider on the outside. The Gentiles. Those that you consider on the fringes. Yes, even those, they will recognize just how great Jehovah is. Those who were unchosen. Would see and know of the greatness of this God of the chosen. That's essentially what Malachi is here surprising these readers, perhaps, with. This message that the disdain of God does not go unnoticed. And this was so because of this irreverence as he closes out this chapter with a just a repetition of what he has talked about. You have profaned it, my name, Malachi says. And that ye say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, behold, what a weariness is it. They had grown tired. (laughs) That's what that word means. It actually means it's a nuisance. Behold, what a nuisance God's worship is. (laughs) And ye have snuffed at it. You've just grown weary of always doing the same things, Malachi is saying. You've lost regard and respect for who it is that you're coming into the temple to worship. He brought that which was torn and lame and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering, and should I accept this of your hand? Saith Lord, Be cursed. But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. You see, I think the theme of these particular 14 verses, but yes, also throughout the rest of this particular little prophecy. is. To get God's people to realize who it was that they were treating with such contempt. Again, he's trying to drive them to their knees. Show them who it was that they were offending. It's not just some governor. That would be one thing. It would be a social sort of, you'd be treated socially like a pariah. It wouldn't be etiquette if you were to do something offensive against the governor or the president. And it wasn't the king In fact, it was the one even higher than that. It was the great king. It was the Lord of hosts. And in fact, from verses 14 down through the end of the chapter, he mentions that title of God, Lord of hosts, some eight times. He's getting it into their mind's eye. This is who you're spurning. This is who you're spitting on. This is who you're treating with such profanity and corruption and contempt. It's not just some deity. It's The God of all, the Lord of all things, the Lord of hosts. Like Israel, I think we ought to perk up at these words of the prophet. And I think that what Malachi does when he's calling them out and says, you know, who's calling you out is the great king. We too uh, be best to listen with reverence and fear. The priests and the people's response here in Malachi's day was to just say, not so with us. Wherein have we done all that? But our response, I think, as we read these particular words from the prophet ought to be much different. And in many ways, I think we ought to be compelled to consider just how these words might be pointed at us. I say that to say this, that. If you consider the current state of affairs in the church, the quote-unquote modern church of 2022, I think it's easy to sort of see the parallels between what Malachi is calling out here and the church of our day. There's little reverence showed for God or his word. There's little respect showed to the place wherein we gather for worship in his name. The church, yes, you could even easily say in our day, has become a contemptible thing, a weary thing. How else do you explain the trifling priority we give to it? Some folks can hardly be bothered to darken the drawers of a church once in a week. And when they do show up, they insist upon being entertained. <laughs> the church service is boring. The preaching too dry and too long, sorry. The music isn't what I like to sing, so we'll go find another place. And so the churches and its leaders amend how they do and plan and cater their services. And I think that's how you get to the church of 2022, where top 40 songs are being played in the worship service just to try and attract people. Just to try and keep them uh, not snoozing anymore. And you have preachers trying their best to imitate stand-up comedians instead of just preaching the word. Let me read you this paragraph, and let me see if you can guess as to when it was written. One writer, he says this, quote, The church of God has gone into the entertainment business. People must be amused, and as the church needs the people's money, the church must perforce supply the demand and meet the craving.'" How else are the godless hypocrites to be held together? How otherwise can the throngs of unconverted youths be attracted to the services? So the picture show and the entertainment in the form of a musical and minstrel show perhaps take the place of the gospel address and the solemn worship of God. And thus Christless souls are lulled to sleep and made to feel religious while gratifying every carnal desire under the sanction of the sham called The church. Those words actually came not from a church leader in the 2000s, but from H.A. Ironside in the mid 20th century. And I kind of shudder to think what he might think of the church nowadays. If he thought the church was an entertainment house then, what does he think now? I say this with All seriousness for myself. Where is our fear and our reverence for God? Do we treat this book that we have in front of us. As a trifling thing. Or do we treat it with the respect and reverence it deserves. As the very words of the Lord of hosts. How have we mishandled our calling as ambassadors for Christ? You know I take these words to heart. Malachi is calling out priests. I think he's very much calling out those who were in charge of leading the worship in the house of God. But likewise, too, I would say, not just to get myself off the hook, but we are all the priests of God. As it says in 1 Peter, that we are the priesthood of the believers, every single one of us. Which is just to say, how, too, have we mishandled our calling as God's representatives? And the pointed question that comes out of this particular chapter, I think, is this. Are we giving God our leftovers? There's only one way that leads back to a right, and I would say a proper worship of this one true God. And Malachi was encouraging his readers to see it. And it starts with us. It starts with the church. You know, I've often reflected on this idea that when God comes judging the world, who does he judge first? He judges his house first. And I think if we were ever to see some sort of movement start again, ever to see our, our, the doors of our churches just rattle because the people cannot fit in their walls, I think it starts with the church realizing in bold and fresh ways just who it is that they serve. Not just some uh, of someone amongst the other litany of deities. Not just a God who is there and then not. Not just a therapeutic deity. No, we serve the great king. The king above all kings. The Lord of hosts is his name. That's who you and I are in the service of. I think those old... Songs that we used to teach our children ought to be taught to us too. Onward Christian soldiers. <laughs> Marching as to war. Lift high the royal banner. <laughs> That's what the song goes on to say. I can't remember the words now off the top of my head. But it talks about the banner that we march under. It's the banner of God. That's the seriousness, I think, which, with, with which we ought to engage in our duty as Christians. The church is no playhouse. There's no thing that we can do with as we please is the house of the living God. And when you come into its walls, you're communing with the living God. Along with fellow believers who are likewise communing with the living God. According to the Holy Spirit as he applies and speaks those words to our hearts and our souls and our minds. Where is the honor and the fear for this Lord of hosts? Are we giving God our leftovers? Are we treating him and his Word with the reverence and the respect that he so deserves?